Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. Happy Advent. That's not a thing. Uh, Merry Christmas. That's a thing. Well, it's good to see all of you here today, and uh, we are doing a series in the book of Luke. Before I, before I get into that, I'll, I'll just mention that today is the last day that we are live streaming. Um, now, what we mean by that is the last day that we are live streaming, live. Uh, but if you are one who um, likes to view the, the live stream, like sometime during the week, then that's, we're still recording it. So the, the video of the service with all the things we normally do will still be available on uh, YouTube, and it's just not going to be available live. So we're not doing it right at the same time. The reason for that is to encourage being present at the gathering as much as possible. If you um, have a sick child or for some reason need to miss the gathering, then the gathering will still be available, as always, on YouTube, and it's going to become available after the service. So I confirmed this earlier with uh, Nathan Mendel, who does this. It should go live right after the service. So around noon-ish on Sundays, it'll still be there on YouTube, the whole thing. It's just not going to be streamed at the same time that it's happening concurrently. Um, you might have to click on live, like live videos when you go into YouTube. Uh, there's a different category videos. So you might have to click on that to get to it, um, but it's going to be available there right after the service. So today's the last day. We can take a moment and grieve the live stream, but uh, COVID was a, was a temporary thing in the life of the, the world and the church, and so we're, we're not going to keep acting like um, people have to stay away for those reasons. So live stream, goodbye. Hello, church. Good morning. Uh, we are doing a series in the Gospel of Luke. And so this morning, um, or in the, this particular series we're in, is in the, a section of teaching of Jesus. And today we're looking at one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. The parable is famous because it highlights that God is gracious and loving for outcasts and for sinners who humble themselves in repentance. Um, we love this parable because it shows us God is a God of second chances, right? We love that. There's hope in God for desperate people in desperate situations. For a lot of us, I imagine, this story reminds us of the desperate situation that God rescued us from at some time in the past. Maybe the prodigal son story is your story because you had lived a similar way and God rescued you and snatched you out of whatever you were in and you were really in, a, um, in an unusually rebellious state of mind and heart um, and you read this story and you're like, yeah, that was me. That was me. This story is mine. And of course, we love the story because Jesus himself told the story. So we're getting it from the source, directly uh, from the mouth of Christ. He's showing us the heart of God. So this Advent season, it's fitting to study this parable of why Jesus came in the first place. So let's dig in. We are in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and I'm not going to read the whole parable now. I'll, I'll read it to us as we go through, but we'll start here with the first few verses. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, two sons, and is it not on? Can't you, uh, can't you work with this, work with this. 
Do we know what's, what the deal is with that, Nathan? Well, I'm not going to... You can tell me. So you all, you all make a noise when it, whenever it comes up, because I'm sure it'll come up in a second. But I'll go ahead and read it. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. We got it? Oh, all right. Well, we'll go this route. Um, so we see here there were two sons, and the story is a story about two sons. The younger of the two, and what we just read, he makes this audacious request of his dad. He, and it's more of a demand, really, because he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, give me now my share of the inheritance that normally wouldn't have been mine until you were dead. But I want it now, so go ahead and give me it now. And so you see that it was... It was a, a, an audacious request. It was an insult to the father. But for whatever reason in this story, the father was obliged to go along with it. But we see the heart of this young son. It was evident in the fact that he was rebellious. He was selfish. He was reckless. He dishonored his father. And so he took the money, flew out to Vegas, and he wasted it all in casinos and binge drinking, drugs, and prostitutes. And prostitutes, literally, that's what his elder brother later said. So it's like he really did um, wasted his money on prostitutes. Eventually, the money ran out. And he had no place to go. There was no food to eat. There was nowhere to turn. So he, he had hit rock bottom, this less than zero type of state that he reached. And his only option to even feed himself was to work for a Gentile pig farmer. Now, that's a, that's a double whammy. Uh, Gentiles were, were the lowest of the low. He couldn't have sunk any lower here. So in the Jewish mind of the day, the worst kinds of people were Gentiles, and the worst kinds of animal were pigs. So he was, he was in dire straits. And not only that, he was so hungry, it says that he envied the pigs. He envied the pigs. He wanted to eat the food that they had. He was so hungry. These pigs, at least, they were getting three squares a day. Because the, the farmer, it was an investment for him, so he was feeding the pigs well. There are some sins that are easy to spot, right? They're, they're, they're clear, obvious, plain. They're out in the open. The sinfulness of the sin is self-evident, and its self-destructive power is obvious. And that was the prodigal son. His rebellion was externalized in such a way that it's out in the open. He's not trying to hide it. It is open rebellion. And as I mentioned earlier, for some of you, this was your story. This was how you, you lived part of your life this way. You were in open rebellion, and you remember what it was like to be desperate, to be lost before you knew Christ. 
And I imagine for some of you, maybe, maybe many of us, you know somebody right now and that's where they are. They are in, they're, they're out in a far country. Somebody that you love, you care about, that you pray for, they're in a far country, their rebellion is out in the open. And it might seem to you like they're a lost cause. There's no hope for them. It might seem like they'll be lost forever. There's no turning back. And that's what makes this story so powerful. Because Jesus is telling us that there actually is hope for people that are out in a, that are a lost cause. That are out in a far country and their rebellion is out in the open. This story shows us that there is a way back to the Father. That there is a way back home. It's a way of grace. And I want to show you this way of grace. Are we still on the screen? Verse 17. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. These three verses are are very powerful because it shows us a template of repentance. Finally, this younger son, he had had enough of this life. The King James Version uh, calls it riotous living. And this younger son, he's like, "I've, I've had enough. I've had my gut full of sin, and I'm sick of it. He wanted out. He wanted to make a change. But out here in a far country, where's he going to go? Who's he going to turn to? He's got no recourse. There's no family. There's no friends. There's no support structure. He's, he's like jealously looking at the Gentile pigs, hoping that he could have some of their scraps. And so for somebody in this situation, the only way out is to turn back to the Father. Now, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. You have to humble yourself. You have, to, you have to eat some crow, as they say. Eat some humble pie to go back to the Father, admit that you were wrong, repent. So he sets his mind to go back to the father that he'd betrayed. The father that sometime earlier he had essentially wished him dead and to go back to him. And what he does next demonstrates a path of genuine repentance. It's genuine heartfelt sorrow and true contrition for what he's done. And so there are five elements that I want to show you of genuine repentance Pay attention, this, this is instructive for us. Okay, so that's not working. I want to, I'll, I'll just, I'll talk the way normal preachers do. There are, there are five elements here. The first one is a genuine humility. Genuine humility. Verse 17 says he came to himself. Now that's, that's a simple language, but behind that language is this idea of a light bulb going off where you realize something. You, you've, it's, a, it's in a moment of clarity. It's, in a, it's a moment of awareness. So there, I'm sure we've all had this experience where you're doing something wrong. You know it's wrong. And for the most part, you tune it out. You ignore it. You suppress that feeling, that conscience. 
but you have these little moments of clarity when you think, what am I doing? What? This is stupid. And in that moment of clarity, you come to yourself. That's what he did. He came to himself. And that moment of clarity requires the humility to face your circumstances head on. And that's what he did. The younger son sees himself accurately. It's not merely a move of desperation because he's hungry. Certainly God would use that. God would use the pain of the consequences of your sin to help you to recognize what you're doing. But what we see here is a genuine renewal of heart. It's a renewal of heart where he would recognize, I was wrong. He's defiled himself. He's indulged in debauchery. He's brought dishonor upon himself and upon his family and upon his father. He came to himself, genuine humility. Number two is there is a turn towards the father. A turn towards the father. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. Right? There's a turn towards the father. It's not self-loathing. It's not like... It's, 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 uh, it's not self-pity. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's, he's saying, this is what I need to do. I'm, there's, the only way out of this mess that I'm in is to go and face the one that I've offended. Some people, you know, there's some people that when, whatever they do, they're all in. You know, those kinds of people. It's like they're all in or they're all out. I mean, the prodigal son is kind of that way. You know, when he decided to rebel, he's all in. And he's the most audacious kind of rebellious son you can imagine. Give me my money. I wish you were dead. I want to go waste it all on hookers. That's audacious. He was all in with his sin. But whenever he came to himself, he's all in on his repentance. I need to go and face my dad. I've offended my father. And so... He would not do this unless there was some inkling that he had that his father was merciful and that he would be treated justly. So I want to pause on this idea for a moment and to acknowledge the significance of this. The son had disowned his father. As far as his father was concerned, he had given him his inheritance. And so there's, he had severed the relationship the son had severed the relationship. The father had allowed it to happen and was, was magnanimous enough to actually indulge his son to give him the estate. But the relationship was severed. The father has no obligation to, to welcome him back. The father did forgive him, but he did so because it was his gracious character. And the son would have had to have at least known that there was some mercy in his father that he could appeal to. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. God isn't slow. God isn't wasting his time and fumbling around and I'll get around to, you know, coming back and finishing this whole kingdom and restoration and renewal thing someday. He's like, no, I'm, I am, God, God is patient. He endures. I mean, think about the rebellion that is in this world 
and God would be perfectly righteous and just to come back right now, rescue his redeemed, and torch the place. He would be just if he did that. Why doesn't he? Not because he's bored and he's just kind of waiting around. It's because he's patient, because he doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't delight in the death and the judgment of the wicked. He's patient, not wishing any to perish, but that all would, re- would reach repentance. He wants to see people changed. And so we are in this time where we endure wickedness and, and sinfulness in the world so that there will be an increased overall number of people who would be brought into repentance and reach eternal life. Here's another text, Romans 2.4. It says, do, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Same idea, different author. God's kindness that he shows, his mercy, his, his long-suffering, his patience, is so that he might show kindness to those who need to repent. God gives them time to come to their senses, to come to themselves, and to recognize that he is patient and to give an opportunity to repent. Now, for many of us, I mean, if you think about this, if you, let's say you became a Christian in the last year, aren't you glad that God did not come back, Christ did not return the day before you gave your life to Christ? You would have been you would have been in hell. You would have been judged. You would have been lost in your sin forever. But God's patience to give it that other day was enough time for you to reach repentance. And that is what the Lord is doing even now. And that the, the suffering and, and the, the hardship and the sin and wickedness in the world, we endure that along with him. We are patient with him because he is compassionate. Because he wants to allow the opportunity for more to repent. That's the heart of a gracious father. Here's the third, um, the third aspect of genuine repentance. He owned it. He owned his sin. Verse 18, he said, I have sinned against heaven and before you. There's no self-pity He's not minimizing his sin. He's not making excuses. He's not blaming his circumstances. And we've all done that, right? <laughs> we do this all the time. It's so common. It's, it's human nature to make, Lord, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that, but she drove me to it. You know how she can be. She's kind of nuts, Lord. So, yeah, I was out of line a little bit, but, you know, it, it's kind of her fault too. Lord, I shouldn't have done that, but, you know, all these other guys, they were doing it, and I was just kind of along, you know, I kind of got kind of caught up in the moment, Father, you know how it is. Lord, I shouldn't have done that, but you know, I was short on cash, you know, the bills were coming due, and I had to do something, so, you know, I, I fudged a little. Or you could say, Lord, you know, I've made mistakes. Mistakes were made, you know, like the, the boilerplate PR apology, you know, mistakes were made, you know. I love that the prodigal son didn't do that. He, he straight up, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He owned it straight on the chin. 
He's acknowledging that in every sin, and in, his, and in this case, he, he truly did sin directly against the Father. But we know from the rest of Scripture that in any circumstance, any sin, ultimately God is the offended party whenever we sin. So he, he owned it. His life was a disaster, and it was all his fault. There's nobody to blame but himself. Number four, he acknowledged the consequences of his sin. He acknowledged the consequences of his sin. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, somebody might say something like that, but it's, it's a false humility. It's, a, it's the thing you say to sometimes elicit somebody, a counter from the other person to get them to say, yes, you're worthy to be my son. Don't, don't talk that way, honey. You know, people say that. You, you, you say something self-deprecating, hoping that somebody else will compliment you. It's a, it's a little manipulation tactic. People do it all the time. But he says this, and it's true. He is no longer worthy to be called his son. He declared his independence from his father when he wished him dead and said, give me my money. That's a consequence of his sin. He comes back, and this is, this is, he states a fact. He's not being dramatic. It's true. He's not worthy anymore to be called his son. He sold his father out. And he's acknowledging, even by appearing before his father in the first place, that his father is an upright and honorable man, and he deserves a better son than the one he's got. So he is, he's dealing honestly and directly with the consequences of his sin. And then finally, number five, he begs for mercy. He begs for mercy. Verse 19, treat me as one of your hired servants. For the father to do that would be an act of mercy that the son does not deserve. But he's hoping that there is some compassion because of his former relationship with the father, that the father would at least give him a job. So he's going to his dad, dad, I need a job. I'm not worthy to be your kid. I'm not looking, you know, to be father and son's business. You know, being brought back into the family the way it was. Be, be welcomed back with having an inheritance again. I'm not that, but can I at least, can you at least give me a job? And some Christians have an attitude where they presume upon, upon God as though they don't need to really repent fully. Just like they presume that God will overlook their sin and, and that there's no consequences for it. And so they're presumptuous in that, well, of course God will... He'll overlook this. It's his job to do it. God's forgiving. It's what he's supposed to do. I'm, 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 of course, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. It's me. I mean, I'm worthy. That's a presumptuous attitude. But in this case, the son is like, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I'm, I'm at least asking for a job. He's not presumptuous. He's not expecting his father to sing and dance and throw him a parade. He's just hoping that his dad is merciful enough to give him a job so he doesn't starve. Now, the father's response is beautiful. Verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, he's already prepared this speech. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father's response. He was, he was watching his son. He, he saw him from a long way off. He must have been looking for his son to return. And he caught a glimpse of him from afar. And verse 20 said he felt compassion. He was drawn to his son because he loves him. This disheveled boy who, who, who uh, was literally would have stank like a pigsty. The father ran out there. It was an undignified thing for a father to do in that age. He embraced him and kissed him. Literally, he, he hugged this boy and kissed him. And then he, he starts his speech, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, whatnot. And the father interrupts him. He doesn't let him finish his speech. He's like, yeah, 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 shut up. All right, everybody, he's home. My boy's home. Hey, everybody, guess what? He's back. He's excited. He didn't even want to hear the speech. And he says, verse 22, give him the best robe. Now, that is the best robe is something that you would give to an honored guest. Put a ring on his finger. That is something that indicated his being restored to the family. It was, it was a sign of inclusion within the family, of sonship. Put shoes on his feet. That's a sign of status and luxury within the household. The servants wouldn't have had shoes on their feet. And then verse 23, bring the fattened calf. That's not something you do every day. You slaughter a fattened calf for a major celebration like a wedding or some feast. And in verse 24, my son was dead and is alive again. It was lost and is found. Jesus is drawing attention to the spiritual parallels between his son's situation and then now what, what that means. We're seeing some of the interpretation, the meaning of the parable in Jesus' words here. The son was restored to his status as a son. The father chose to absorb the financial losses himself. But there is a catch. Since the father has absorbed the financial loss, that financial loss was absorbed by the whole estate because the father was still in business, and so the estate absorbed that financial loss. And since there was another brother, another heir, that financial loss was also absorbed by the brother. He was set to inherit the whole estate with his other brother gone, and the elder brother believed that his father's generosity would cost him something. So let's look at the other brother. Verse 25, and his older son was out in the field, and as he came near and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what those things meant, and he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? He's hot, he's livid. Some sins are not so easy to spot. The sin may not be so self-evident. The destructive power may not be so obvious. The younger brother's sin was externalized. The older brother's sin was internalized. It's hidden, 
beneath this respectable veneer of outward piety. The older son's rebellion, it's carefully tucked away. It's, it's hidden out of you, but inside you've got this boiling pot of seething rage. And it pops whenever the father comes out to him. You know, the older brother, it reminds me of Jonah. You know, Jonah was called to, to go and preach, to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. He had this respectably religious career as a hometown prophet. And whenever God called him to preach to people he didn't like, he got very angry. You know, chapter 4 of Jonah is all about his anger. The older brother was unmerciful. He was angry at the father's mercy. He was angry that the father's mercy might cost him something. He was angry because he didn't believe he needed mercy himself. He was the nice boy. He was the good kid of the family. He felt entitled to all the father's blessings, not to mention the money. So the older brother's sin was internally harboring this rebellion against his father while freely dining at his father's table. He doesn't love the father himself, but he does love eating his father's food, drinking his wine, swimming in his father's pool. He's jealous because that little twerp of a brother ran off, lost a fortune, and then ran back to daddy acting all contrite, and his father's naive enough to fall for it. Don't you see, dad, that you're getting played? There's no way that he'd fall for that garbage. Mm -mm. No way. The older brother, there's no way he would fall for the the stupid thing that his dad's fallen for. Nevertheless, the father is merciful, and he's merciful to his angry older son. And so he goes out to the older son, and he pleads with him to come in. And now let's look at verses 31 and 32. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, it's a, it's a term of affection. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He calls him son. There's this tenderness in his appeal. He says, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. And he says, it was fitting to celebrate. In other words, it's the right thing to do. This is like a resurrection party. My son was dead. But I've but now he's alive. I've received him back. I didn't think I'd ever see him again. He was, he was, he was lost, and now he's been found. How, how could we not celebrate that? This is what you do when you recover something valuable that you've lost. The father's affectionate appeal indicates that the mercy shown to the younger brother is also available to the older brother. He's merciful and affectionate and gracious to both. Now, this is the meaning of the parable. Because the parable is about both sons. It's not just about the prodigal son. It's about both sons. And it's about the love of the father. We preached a whole series on this a couple years ago. You can find it on our 
YouTube channel. But the meaning of the parable is found at the beginning of the chapter. Because you see that Jesus is speaking to a particular circumstance. So if we go back and look at Luke 15, verse 1, here's where we, where we get a clue into the bigger picture of the parable. Luke 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then he actually told them three parables. All three parables are about lost things getting found. There's the parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of a lost son. The older brother in this story represents the Pharisees who were angry that Jesus was welcoming in the tax collectors and the sinners. So the older brothers in the story are the Pharisees who are rebelling against the father while dining at his table. And then the prodigals in this parable represents the sinners, the outcasts, the undesirables, the losers, the castoffs. And Jesus' point is that God will welcome anyone, no matter how sinful or wicked, if they repent and turn to Christ in faith. And that includes both younger brothers and older brothers who need to repent of their sins and come sit at the table and join in the feast of the Father's mercy. But the prerequisite for both is repentance. Now, in the context of Luke, it's obvious that Jesus is telling the story about the people that he was interacting with, the people in his ministry. And so the older brothers, the, the Pharisees, they are the elites. They're the highly religious, self-righteous, hard-hearted, super-judgy type of people. And then the younger brothers are the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. They were the outcasts, they were the hated, and they were hated by the Pharisees and the elites of the day. And so within the hierarchy of that day, the older brothers would have been the elites and the younger brothers would have been the outcasts. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this sermon preached many times, this story preached many times, and the familiarity of it can be misleading somewhat. What we, what we conclude is this. Well, the younger brothers, if we modernize it, the younger brothers would be the free-spirited party animals. They're just out having a good time, but they can go a little overboard. And since they're sympathetic characters, we assume, well, God must have a soft spot for that kind of rebellion. For, for the most rebellious and wicked people that are blatantly defiant to God, God must have a soft spot for them. But then you have the older brothers. That's the self-righteous, stuck-up, judgmental, mean-spirited, religious conservatives. And we assume God must generally be annoyed with them. Yeah, I mean, they're, okay. they're Christians, so i got to tolerate them, but they're kind of annoying. I don't really care for them too much. Um, so, the, you know, we gotta, we got to tolerate them. So the younger brother, being a sympathetic character, is not sympathetic um, for being an outcast. He's not sympathetic because he's a wild child party animal. He's sympathetic. Why? What did he do that makes us that makes him a sympathetic character. 
He repented. Exactly right. He's a sympathetic character because he, he repented of his rebellion. Now, why, are the, why is the older brother an unsympathetic character? What did he not do? He did not repent. That's why he's not a sympathetic character. They're not sympathetic or unsympathetic because of the particular nature of their rebellion. It is what is their heart posture towards the father? Are they repentant or are they not? I say this because I've seen this parable misapplied in such a way that excuses the wickedness of people that are in open rebellion to God. They think that, well, people that are sinning in a prodigal son kind of way, we have to have more, uh, we, we need to tolerate that. We don't want to, you know, call them out in sin. We don't need to, 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 to warn them in any way about potential judgment, potential hell. We don't want to talk in any way that's kind of negative towards them. We want them, because they're prodigals, right? The prodigal people, we want to, to be super nice to them. But if we have a different kind of rebellion, a religious rebellion, a hard-heartedness and unrepentance, it's like, well, we kind of got to go after them because they're unsympathetic. We don't like them at all. Both, are in, both could be rebellious, but there's a certain kind of rebellion that's more favorable than the other kind of rebellion. And so in our day, there's this trend in society and in the church where we actually can see both kinds of sons combined, and there's this other kind of rebellion that is, is a, a big problem that doesn't get addressed at all. So you have the younger brother's rebellion combined with the older brother's rebellion. The younger brother's reckless indulgence, his sexual immorality, his open contempt for God is combined with the older brother's arrogance and self-righteousness and stuck-up elitist attitude and hatred for his younger brother. And you can have these combined in the same person. So this story is not so much a contrast between reckless indulgence and religious observance. Rather, it's a contrast between self-righteous elitism and humble repentance. And the repentance is the key. You can be an indulgent, drug-abusing, sexually immoral, self-righteous elitist. You can sin like the younger brother with a high hand, feeling morally superior to those religious nutcases. And that contempt towards people like us, that's actually very common in our day. And you can also be a faithful, obedient, humble, religiously observant man or woman of God. And that does not make you a Pharisee. We're often told that. We're often told that our desire to faithfully follow Christ, to obey the Lord, to be able to speak about the sins in the world, that makes you a Pharisee, that makes you legalistic, that makes you like an older brother. And that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is like, who is humble? Who is repentant before the Father? So a person as, that walks in repentance, I mean, I, let, let's say if this story were to play itself out further. Presumably, if the, presuming that the, the younger son's repentance was genuine, what would he have done? He would have been close to the Father. He would have stayed. He would have remain, maintained a, a posture of humility and repentance he would have stayed in the father's house. He would have submitted to his father, obeyed his father's word. He wouldn't have continued in this self-righteous, 
uh, debauchery. You know, he would, have, he would have changed his life and become more humble and obedient and faithful to his father. That does not make him a Pharisee. No, that makes him a good son who's a faithful son. The difference is not sin versus religious observance. The difference is repentance versus unrepentance. And that's the good news that Jesus brings to all of us. God is patient and kind to all. He is patient that, to, kind to, to bring us to repentance, that we might humble ourselves. And in all the ways that we identify those five ways earlier, we would, we would turn to the Lord. We would recognize the, the depth of our sin And we would cry out for mercy, saying, we deserve nothing, and you've given us everything. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. And actually, we see that throughout the New Testament. And actually, we call that the Christ prayer in church history and in liturgies. The Christ prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Christ, have mercy. That is the cry of a prodigal or an elder brother who is repentant and humble before God. God will welcome home any and every kind of sinner. You can have a self-righteous, hypocritical, judgy sinner, and you can have an indulgent, promiscuous, addicted, down on your luck, I've screwed up my life sinner. Jesus welcomes all sinners who repent. He does not bless them and condone them in their rebellion. He doesn't have a soft spot for prodigal son type of rebellion. He hates all rebellion. He hates all wickedness. But he welcomes anyone who who humbles themselves and repents. And all of his hatred for that rebellion was poured out on the cross of Jesus Christ, who absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. That's why the good news of Jesus is good. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And whether you're a religious hypocrite or you're a prodigal son sinner, If you don't repent, if you don't humble yourself and repent, then you're lost. And the way to be found, the way home, the path of of coming home is to humble yourself, repent, and beg for mercy. And when you do that, the Father and all the angels in heaven will rejoice when any lost soul repents and they find salvation in Christ. If you're lost, you're lost. Christ offers you mercy no matter which particular flavor of sin is your jam. Repentance is the key. So we remember in this Advent season, this is why Christ came. Born as a baby in a manger to humble outcasts like Mary and Joseph. Jesus wasn't born to give us a fun winter holiday so we can decorate trees and put presents underneath. Jesus was born in order to die. He was humble. He was a religiously observant Jew. He was obedient to God, and yet he was also an outcast of society. And through faith in Christ, sinners of all shapes and sizes, we can humble ourselves, turn to Christ, repent, confess our sin, and believe in Christ, place our faith in Christ, and we will be forgiven. We will receive the gift of salvation. And whenever we do, the angels in heaven, they get out their streamers and the balloons, they bring out the DJ, they fire up the music, and they party their angelic hearts out. Because something that was lost has been found. Something that was dead is alive again. And that is the soul of a man or woman has been rescued from their sin. Another lost soul has come home. That's why Jesus came.
Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are like this father in the story and that you are compassionate and merciful. You are kind and gracious to prodigal sons and elder brothers who rebel against you in obvious and not so obvious ways. And we thank you that you have showed us the path that we can be restored whenever we come home through repentance and faith that we can be forgiven and counted righteous because of the righteousness of the true son the son who never rebelled the son of God Jesus Christ and may we be found in him Father I pray for any prodigal sons who are here this morning who for whatever reason they find themselves in a church even though in their hearts they're in a far country and they have been walking in rebellion I pray Lord that you will convict them and show them, convince them by your spirit of your kindness that is patient, that is waiting for them to turn and be forgiven and may they urgently turn to Christ and receive that mercy I pray for those here who love somebody who is out in a far country. A son, a daughter, an aunt, uncle, cousin, friend, relative, mother, father. Somebody that is, that is out in riotous living and their rebellion is, is out in the open and obvious. And the people here are praying for them. Lord, I ask you that you will answer that prayer and bring that person to where they will come to their, their senses and they will have a moment of clarity and that they will see that you will send a laborer to them to tell them the gospel and they will see the way home. Lord, I pray for older brothers here who are self-righteous and judgy and hypocritical. Lord, I pray that you will help them to come to their senses and see also that the anger in their heart is an entitled attitude and that they will repent and that you will show them mercy. Father, we, we ask you that as we come to the table that we will feast and enjoy your mercy because you are a God who is merciful and compassionate, gracious. You're patient and kind. And so, Lord, may we celebrate that goodness today. Thank you, Jesus that you paid the price and you made the way for us. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.